0: Alright, I don't like uh, sharing this with a lot of people, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, A couple times, and if we're friends, uh, this might freak you out, but a couple times in my life, um, God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit has spoken to me uh, with a straight out audible voice. Uh, Just the freakiest thing that a person could ever say, right? Uh, we probably, you probably don't want. Well, maybe you do want to hang out with me now. Uh, but um, just uh, and, and just, there was one time I was sitting on a bench, and it was in this kind of worship setting, and, and God s- spoke to me, and I turned sideways. There was some. It's a long pew, kind of on the side of this event, and I was just by myself, and someone was sitting, kind of maybe fifty feet away, I and. It's weird, but I, if you have had this experience, you just kind of know what's going on. Well, I turned because I wanted to tell that guy I think God was speaking to him. Because <laughs> that's how I react to this kind of stuff. It is um, an unsettling, unsettling thing to have an impression, maybe to have an audible voice of God. Um, it is, uh, it's one of those things where if people talk about it a lot, I believe it less does that make sense? Uh, because in my experience, it's terrifying. It's not the kind of thing where I go, yeah, I'm a, that's, that's how I want to start my day every day. No. All right, like I want to start my day uh, with control. And uh, I want to read my Bible and have control over what I read. and And, and then I make the decisions. Not God speaking to me or giving me impressions and I've I've had a couple of experiences like this that are just um, I was praying for someone once and it it was like I was outside of myself really weird and uh, usually I don't share this with anyone God's spoken to me and told me stuff that's going to happen and uh, I don't usually brag about it I tell Heather and then it does and if so it freaks us both out Uh, (laughs) but I don't tell you um, because uh, that's how prophecy works, right? If you make a prophecy and it doesn't come true, then you throw rocks at the prophet till he's dead. Uh, that's biblical. So uh, I would prefer not to have rocks thrown at me, so I'm not going to tell you about my prophecy, so I can dodge Heather's rocks. But, um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> if, uh, when you have these impressions, like, or, and maybe you, Maybe you've had this experience, maybe you just had like an impression, like I feel like this is what God wants me to do, or like a conviction or something. Sometimes it's it's a weird thing because you wonder if you just like if you ate bad pizza, <laughs> you know? Uh, and and how do I know like how do I know that this is an impression or a feeling or a guidance from God? Or maybe it's just a neediness in me or maybe I'm just emotionally drained or, or maybe I'm ill you know uh, it, it's this weird thing that we wrestle with as Christians we hear people say God told me this is one of my favorite things in the like honestly top five things in the world is when people tell me things God told me that you need to do this right like God tells you instructions for my life it's just hilarious to me because I'm like, well, I talked to God this morning. He didn't say anything about that. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, I love when other people know how to run my life and God tells other people how to run my life. Um, it's just uh, one of those things. It, it's, uh, it's hilarious to me. Um, but there's this, it, this weird tension that Christians live in. And if we follow and we say we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and we believe that Jesus is active and alive, in our lives how do we deal with that how do we deal with the person who says this is what God told me to do and you look at it and go I'm fairly certain that's ridiculous or or, this is what God told me to do and you say I'm fairly certain that's sin and I don't think that God would tell us to do that this isn't either this, um, this isn't a new problem Like, this isn't something that we're the first Christians to ever have to deal with. And in fact, what we're going to read today in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus is having to deal with the exact same thing, the exact same problems, and the exact same accusations. So we're going to read together kind of two parts. And I'm going to read through this, and I've got a few observations at the end that I want to talk about. And we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit... And uh, the Holy Spirit is, uh, we believe in a trinity, meaning God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three individual persons, and they form one Godhead together. Um, and so they're three and they're one, and that's one of the mysteries of God that we don't understand. I'm pausing a lot because I'm trying not to off. I finally went to the doctor yesterday, so that's, that's an improvement, right? I explained to the doctor that I'm invincible, and she said, that's common, uh, that's common in men. <laughs> <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. Ah, so I'm taking pills to increase my invincibility. <laughs> I believe, I believe that's what they're for, so... we're going to read through this and then I have some observations about the Holy Spirit, about Jesus, about God, and about uh, Satan, the adversary. So, and some of the things that we're going to hear and read about today. Last week, uh, Jesus had an argument, if you were here last week, Jesus had an argument about the Sabbath and established himself as Lord of the Sabbath. He had a divine claim. And so, when Jesus does these things, he tends to, uh, like rowdy up his opposition, and this is how he usually, he doesn't avoid the opposition, but he's monitoring the opposition so that the op, which he knows that the opposition is going to overcome him and put him to death because of the claims that he's making are punishable by death and so Jesus, in the beginning of this, actually says Jesus aware of this withdrew from there so he actually withdraws, he confronts the opposition and pushes it to a limit then withdrew from there But he's not very good at withdrawing because many followed him. And he healed them all. If you're trying to be on the down low, you don't go around healing crowds. And he ordered them not to make him known. So Jesus apparently was trying to heal and not be popular. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. This is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 42. Behold my servant, It's an interesting little prophecy in Isaiah chapter 42. comes from a section uh, which is called the uh, Servant Songs. And the Servant Songs are this collection in like the 40s, the beginning of the 50s of, chapter, of uh, chapters in Isaiah. Where it's this weird prophecy which is kind of confusing because sometimes the servant in those songs seems to be the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel as God's people existed to serve the world. We believe this in, as the church. God's people, the people of Jesus exist to serve the world. That's why this church exists. That's that's like in our DNA as the grove, we don't necessarily evaluate success or failure by meeting on Sundays. We evaluate success or failure by how are we serving the world? How is the world better because we exist? And so there's this nation part, but then it switches into this weird voice where there's there seems to be an individual, a messiah individual that will come and that messiah will be a servant. And the people have this messianic fever at this time looking for this messiah, but because they're under political and economic oppression they're expecting more of a military messiah. Someone to overthrow the Roman Empire and reestablish the Jewish people as a prominent people of God. And yet, when Matthew, looking back on the story, quotes Isaiah and says this is what this is to fulfill, he points to the individual nature of Jesus being a servant who is chosen. It's God's spirit. And he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Which is a weird thing if you think about The leader of the Messiah of God's people, the Jewish people, when Matthew points to him, he says he will present, proclaim justice, give hope to Gentiles. Gentiles being the word for outsiders or non-Jews. And then the quote actually ends, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Because of this, you and I, if you're not Orthodox Jewish, by, by your family tree, you and I are able to be included in the people of God. This is actually the second major fight in the early church. The first one was over food, of course. The second one was, can non-Jews be Christians? Or do they have to convert to Judaism? That's, this is a major decision. Acts chapter 15. They sit down and they go, well, it seems like it's okay. It seems like that seems like changed the course of history that allows you and I to be full members of the kingdom of God without having to go through a, a, a Jewish entry right and Jesus is referred to as saying he won 't quarrel he won't this is verse nineteen he won 't quarrel or cry loud or anyone in his voice or anyone who hear his voice in the streets. He won't a bruised reed he will not break that means that's a metaphor for like people who are abused he doesn't break those who are mistreated a smoldering wick is a metaphor in, in their literature for someone who's running out of resources he won't quench them he won't extinguish them he until he brings justice to victory Jesus comes to earth to bring justice this justice is kind of this inherent nature, this innate thing we're born with this is why kids say it's not fair right? it's not fair comes from this weird feeling of justice that we have like the people should be treated in a certain way and just things like equality or things like punishment should be dealt out in a fair way justice and what Jesus proclaims to bring is justice to victory don't you want that? Don't you, like, turn on the news and go, Man, I wish, I wish the world was right. In your family, in your relationships, in your class, at your work. Don't you go, Man, I wish... I wish, like, people got their due. I wish the heroes were treated like heroes. And I wish the villains were treated like villains. So this is the prophecy leading into this. Of Jesus as servant to you and I, as Gentile people... To bring justice to victory now this is the context in verse 22 Jesus is out in the wilderness and there's a more expanded version of this in Mark uh, chapter 3 you can read that if you're interested but uh, then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw in those servant songs the Messiah brings healing do you know what he brings healing to? sight and speech. And so when Jesus heals it's not just random oh there was a random guy that he healed randomly with sight and this is Matthew saying here's a verse prophesying the Messiah and then Jesus does this healing that's messianic that all the people would recognize as this is the Messiah this is the guy that you were looking for He, he restores sight he restores speech. This is prophecies. So And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the Son of David? which is their words for Messiah. When the people are looking at Jesus, the people in Jesus' day, authentically people, they're saying, Could this be the Messiah? He's doing healing, he's doing miracles. Jesus has all the things necessary for a political or economic or a military revolt. He can heal people, he can make food out of nothing. And he seems to be rather elusive. He's sneaky. (laughs) He keeps withdrawing, right? But if you can heal people, you've got a good army. If you can feed people, you've got a good army. Uh, There's pretty much that's what slows down a military, right? They run out of food, and they're all hurting. Uh, That's so. Jesus, if they put him in charge, he can pretty much fight any war he wants to. Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, and I want you, if you haven't heard before, Pharisees are extra legalists who add rules to the Bible in order to maintain their holiness and maintain their, um, their status with God. So they hear it and they say this they make an announcement while all these people are being healed. It is only by Beelzebub. Uh, if you have a different translation, it might be a different, uh, that Beelzebul might be translated a little bit different. The prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Beelzebub by this time, is a common phrase for Satan, or the devil, who we would call. It, it comes from some ancient gods and things like that, But and you can track that lineage if you're into that kind of stuff, but this would be, by Jesus' day, just another word for what they would call Satan. And so the Pharisees are saying, if he's casting out demons, he's doing it by the power of Satan. Which, in their day, is actually accusing Jesus of, uh, like, sorcery or wizardry. Which is a capital offense. Meaning, Jesus should be put to death for doing the things he's doing. And there were common magicians who would say... They're working by the power of Satan, and they, or a, or a false god, uh, Beelzebul, and they would bind some other weird thing, a weird spirit, and, and they would do these magical tricks. But Jesus isn't claiming to be doing magical tricks. He's healing with authority, and his own authority, establishing himself as Messiah. This is what Jesus is doing. It's an interesting thing, because if you're in... Um, There are like uh, um, theologies, things like the Jesus Seminar. Marcus Borg, who's a professor at OSU, uh, writes textbooks on this. There are the Jefferson Bible, historically, that deny miracles, that Jesus didn't actually do the miracles. But in his day, Jesus' miracles were enough that people accused him of sorcery, wizardry. So the people in Jesus' own day, like, this isn't the kind of thing that you put into a Bible if you're trying to write a good story about Jesus. Oh, and the people of his day thought he was a wizard. Like, we don't write that about our histories of the people who are who, founding fathers. We don't say, oh, and he was kind of like Harry Potter. He thought he really was. We don't say that. We don't put negative stuff into the history. But in Jesus' own day, it seems to validate the authenticity of his physical miracles. So Jesus, this is where it's going to get good. Verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, I'm just going to read this whole thing through and then talk about it. This is Jesus' speech. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? So apparently Pharisees were involved in uh, demonic uh, exorcisms. Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. It ends... With a, There's a couple common phrases in there just to explain in their Jewish culture that in this age or the age to come refers to now and the afterlife, meaning this unforgivable sin, which you should all be terrified right now, right? Is the unforgivable sin taking the wrong parking spot? Uh, the unforgivable sin is unforgivable in this life and in the afterlife. Uh, when Jesus talks about Um, if you want to steal from a strong man first you have to bind the strong man that was a common phrase that was how they would talk about like um, before you get chickens you have to get eggs that kind of thing they would say before you rob somebody you gotta tie them up you know that's just how they would operate Uh, that's it's biblical so if you're gonna rob somebody please tie them up Um, (laughs) but if they're strong you can make that judgment Um, (coughs) excuse me (laughs) I shouldn't laugh um Jesus presents this logical argument that you hear where the Pharisees will say he's casting out demons by the work of Satan himself. And Jesus actually, knowing their thoughts, turns this back on them and says, okay, so if Satan is casting out demons by Satan, then won't Satan's own house fall? Like if Satan is going around undercutting the work of Satan then won't eventually the work of Satan completely collapse and crash in on itself then in this, the Satan would be the best agent of God uh, that we have if the devil is working against himself and so Jesus actually points to so I can't be doing that if, if we all acknowledge that this man was demonically oppressed uh, which in our culture I know we have problems with that we'll talk about it in a second But if we have demonic activity happening here, and I work against it, then I can't be working with the demons. I can't bring life and hope and physical sight and physical speech to someone. I can't go around doing that if my agency is working in the opposite direction to bring death and suffering to people. Which is the agency of the devil, or the work of the adversary, or Satan, or Beelzebub or whatever you want to call it. it. I can't maintain that kind of work. So Jesus says, I must be working with God. And then he backs up. And he says, and apparently the Pharisees, and there's actually extra-biblical evidence of this, you can read about it, like historians like Josephus... <laughs> Where the Pharisees would have uh, some kind of exorcism ministry going on. Where people would be oppressed by demons. And the Pharisees, working with God, would bring healing to them. Apparently not as uh, magnificent or not as demonstrative as Jesus was doing. But the Pharisees were working in this way. And so Jesus says, so your sons, meaning your followers, they're doing this. So who are they working for? So the Pharisees are left with this choice of saying, well, yes, we're working with the devil. Or, okay, we're working with God, and so you must be working with God. And of course they're not going to say we're working with the devil, because that undercuts all of their power and all of their authority. And so Jesus says, therefore, I'm working with God. And if I'm working with God, if the Spirit of God... That I, If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And if you're reading this, you might not catch it at first. But you know, I don't know if you ever read like any Orthodox Jewish stuff. If you come across an Orthodox Jewish website, it has a G slash D, right? Cause just using the name of God uh, is, is seen as dangerous for them because they don't want to use the Lord's name in vain. Well, Jesus in Matthew uses the words, kingdom of heaven. All the time. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is among you. The kingdom of heaven moves forth. But here, Jesus gets bold enough to actually refer to what he's doing as the kingdom of God. It lets you, if you see this, it lets you see a little bit of the attitude that Jesus had in this response. Jesus is getting serious about people actually saying, that's the devil working. It actually offends Jesus To the point where he gets bold in his response. If you're actually saying his work or the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. The Spirit of God which is upon Jesus. Is the devil. Jesus is pushing on that. And so if Jesus is working in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is among you. Then something has to be happening. And Jesus actually refers to himself as... If he's working against Satan, then Satan has to be bound, right? So in some spiritual way, apparently Jesus has tied up Satan. And then Jesus is able to plunder. Which is kind of a fun way to think about the way that God works in the world. There are many people who are bound by sin. Many people who are living under sin. Uh, apart from God, unable to see the love of Jesus that Jesus the love of God that Jesus expresses to them. And when they do find that, Jesus treats that like plunder. It's like Jesus is raiding the things that the devil owns. Because for Jesus, and this is going to offend our sensibilities, for Jesus, whoever is not with me is against me, who does not gather scatters. If you're here today and you're not with Jesus, then by definition of Jesus, you're against Jesus. And I understand that's offensive. We should have some tolerance or something like that. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus draws a line here where there's no gray area. You're with or you're against. You're gathering with me or you're scattering against me. It's it kind of offenses our, offends our sensibilities or in our culture but Jesus just kind of lays this out there and says the Holy Spirit is working the kingdom of God is among you and there's two kingdoms it's black and it's white it's 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 one and it's zero there's nothing in between there's the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of Satan Beelzebul and there's the kingdom of God which is working to bring life and healing and wholeness Jesus actually pushes further saying uh, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who commits blasphemy against even Jesus will be forgiven. But committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Is that terrifying? What you're thinking right now is, did I do that? Did I do the unforgivable sin? Aren't you thinking that? Don't you think I didn't think that all week? <laughs> Chances are, if you're thinking that, you haven't, if that makes sense. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and I want to explain this, because people talk about this unforgivable sin all the time, like the unfor- like being Canadian is the unforgivable sin, you know? And the, uh, <laughs> the um, Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit means resisting or going against or denying the actions and the words of the Holy Spirit and so we need to know what the Holy Spirit is and what he does or she if you want to go that way the Holy Spirit uh, biblically actually points to um, the the Bible points to the Holy Spirit giving us guidance uh, giving us strength giving us comfort and healing the Holy Spirit expresses himself through manifestation of spiritual gifts in our lives Um, the fruit of the Spirit, things like love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control in Christians are manifestations of the Spirit. Those are fruit of the Spirit working in our lives. And to work against those things and to resist those things is what's called or is what's known as this unforgivable sin. So if you're worried about committing the unforgivable sin... That's probably a good sign that you haven't. Or that you aren't. Because that conviction of the Holy Spirit and your response to it is what this is talking about. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're resisting it, then what you're actually doing is actively developing a hardness in your heart so that you can resist God. So that you can resist repentance. So that you can resist God's will. So that When God wants us to spend eternity with all humanity, you can resist that. So that you can spend eternity apart from God. Living in a reality of unforgiveness. But this is true today. God's forgiveness is true today and in the afterlife. And a lack of forgiveness can be true today and can be true in the afterlife. So Jesus answers with quite a bit of offense Jesus answers with drawing a line saying no you do not get to say that what God is doing here is the work of Satan because there's that tension you know for us a lot of times it's just guidance we're not usually going around healing people I haven't done that this week but if you're wondering like, and, and you're wondering is God leading me to do this what does God want me to do in this situation I have this conviction and then resisting that conviction is actually upsetting to Jesus to the point where he starts saying you're either with me or you're against me you're either gathering or you're scattering you're either down with this or you're out there is no like oh, I know God's telling me to do that but I'm not going to no if you're going to say that then get out like, you're not a part of this. You're actually working against what I'm trying to do. Jesus takes, apparently, takes great offense at our resistance to the work of the Holy Spirit. And in our culture, the Holy Spirit is sometimes seen as like a liability. Like, the Holy Spirit is that thing that convicts us or wants us to do things that are unusual. And we want to be normal. Normal. Some of my best friends, people I just adore, are super charismatics. Uh, like when I went to Bible college, I always want to hang out. And charismatics are the people that um, raise their hands a lot. Sometimes they speak other languages. The Bible calls that tongues. Sometimes known. Sometimes they speak this weird gibberish. I just think it's awesome. And then in our denomination, we don't do that. Apparently, we don't like to have fun. <laughs> we really don't, read our code book oh lord <laughs> but, actually don't read our code book so you can keep having fun um, but, but there is this um, I, I had a good friend and, and they have this thing called slain in the spirit and they would, you probably see this on TV they pray and the people just fall over I had a good friend that happened to him, I would ask him questions all the time what's that like? that's never happened to me I need to know, I got saved for the very first time in a Pentecostal church. I was, like, the guy was talking gibberish. I was scared. And if this is that scary, hell must be way scarier. I want to be a Christian, right? <laughs> I was young, but in my roots is this weird, charismatic thing. And that's how God saved me. If it wasn't for charismatic people, maybe I, you know, who knows what happens to me. My mom was saved in a Pentecostal church and my whole family eventually became Christians because of crazy charismatics. But the thing that I love about them is they just accept that God speaks to them. Like they just believe in an active and a real, like the thing that we need to learn from them is that the Holy Spirit actually Wants you to be an unusual and a particular, a peculiar people. The people of God live in stark difference to the people of the world. Because we spend so much of our time trying to be normal. Trying to be acceptable. Trying to deny that I've had the audible voice of God speak to me. I don't put that on a t-shirt. I'm not going to. But you know, like... When I say that, uh, people wonder, maybe he is a little crazy. Maybe it's not a show. And if that's how they react to Jesus, then the reaction to his followers maybe shouldn't be that far off. Which doesn't mean, I think, that when the band comes out, you all need to put up your hands and half of you need to fall over. I'm not saying that. A fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so how do we put those... I actually asked my friend. His name is James too. He fell over. I'm like, so how do you put that together with the fruit of the Spirit being self-control? He's like, what? I wasn't thinking about that, man. Leave me alone. And I'm like, no. We need to have a theological discussion. I'm in Bible college, you know. Um, But he was a lot smarter than me. (laughs) But the... uh, just It doesn't mean we need to pretend something. We need to force something. Because the Spirit of God... If you read the book of Acts it presents itself and evidences itself in two ways. One is speaking in tongues speaking other languages proclaiming uh, the glory of God and then another way is in boldness. If you read the book of Acts this is in the early church this is how the spirit of God expressed himself It said and said I am on these people when they would be boldly And with their words. And we've talked about the power of words. God created the universe through the power of words. Jesus heals often through the power of words. Words can bring incredible healing. And words can bring incredible hurt. And for the Christians, the words they use boldly proclaim the gospel. As evidence of the Holy Spirit. And so you're wondering, is this the God speaking to me or not? You ask yourself, is this boldly proclaiming the glory, the message, the hope, the love of God? And if it's in your actions, are my actions supporting the message that I'm speaking? And I know we need to be wise about this, right? If you're a teacher, you can't go to school tomorrow and say, we're going to put away this lesson on whatever you're teaching (laughs) you can tell I go to school a lot on social economics is that a thing? (laughs) and we're going to talk about the gospel if you do that you're going to get rid of you might get fired Paul didn't go around only talking about the gospel he also built tents for a living Jesus didn't go around only talking about the gospel he also had conversations with regular people he ate and hung out but in our lives we are to live and we're to speak in a way that boldly proclaims the gospel. So if you're sitting there wondering is the Holy Spirit or not? Is it bad pizza? If it's boldly and leading you to be bold about your faith, this boldness which is peculiar in our culture that's Holy Spirit. Five observations. One, from this passage Satan is real and Satan is apparently powerful Jesus compares him to a strong man and I know we like to pretend that Satan's not real or that the devil is this imaginary force he's real he's active and he hates you like he really hates you you got up this morning and if you started praying and then you acted with love and justice as much as you could in the car on the way here you stand up and you worship it's actually kind of fun if you're an aggressive person singing loud is actually kind of fun because you know it actually makes the devil mad as much as it worships God yeah 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 I like that but Satan is real and he's powerful he hates your guts and wants to destroy you he hates everyone It's kind of an ironic thing, this whole... I know we have uh, in the Pacific Northwest and even in Albany, I know there's active uh, like covens and witchcraft and worshippers of Satan. It's just an interesting thing to worship a God that hates you. So Satan is real and powerful. That's how powerful I think he is. Second, Satan's power is limited by Christ. He is tied up. There's a popular, like, uh, in Mormonism, it's a popular theology in Mormonism to think that Satan and Jesus are both created beings. And so they're on some kind of equal footing. They used to, before 2007, they talked about them as being brothers, or spirit brothers, and now they've tried to pretend like they don't. But when we're talking about Jesus and Satan, Jesus is God, an uncreated eternal being. Satan is, as we read in Scripture, a fallen angel. A created subservient being without unlimited power without unlimited resources and Satan is actually bound currently and then if you read Revelation he will be bound permanently and so Satan when he operates, when we see tragedy in our nation or in our world, if you saw the news last night, like the things that happened in Kenya over the last 24 hours those are it's not God doing that. But it is, But God is allowing that. Which is an uncomfortable part of my of my theology. I don't like that. I don't like that God allows that. I don't. But this isn't God's work. It's Satan's work. But Satan is allowed to work outside of his boundary. If that makes sense at all. So if you're worried about Satan working in your life or a demon working in your life... Understanding if you're a Christian, then the power in you is greater than the power in the world. And Jesus in you is actually actively bound Satan. And so the devil doesn't have authority over people who belong to Jesus. Third, there's no gray area between Jesus and Satan. This is a rough one. There's no, like, I'm thinking about it. If you're thinking about Jesus, you're with Satan. And that's rough. And I don't mean to be, like, harsh. But Jesus says, you're either down with what's going on, or you're not. And you can be working for Jesus, working alongside Jesus, and it not be salvific, it not be salvation, not be eternally going to be with God. If you're doing things that are good, that's working with Jesus. You're gathering, not scattering. But there's a with, and there's a with a As much as Jesus and God are real the Holy Spirit is real and powerful and active. The Holy Spirit is active in your life. If you ever feel conviction, Holy Spirit. If you ever feel the comfort of God, it's the Holy Spirit. If you ever read your Bible and you feel like God's speaking to you, it's actually the Holy Spirit speaking to you. If you ever go to and listen to a sermon and you're like, wow, I feel like that was for me this week, it's the Holy Spirit leading that into your life. If you're singing and you're worshiping and you feel like, I feel like this is expressing me, it's the Holy Spirit expressing your devotion to God. The Holy Spirit is not your crazy drunk uncle that's doing the Macarena at the wedding. All right, He is active in your life. And He is normative for Christians. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have the filling of Of the Holy Spirit in your life. Meaning you have access to the full resource of God. There is no such thing as scarcity for the Christian. We have everything. We have access to everything that God has. Full love. Full joy. Full peace. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're here today. You're actually a spirit filled follower. I hope that freaks you out, at least partly. Because the Holy Spirit is the power agent of the Trinity. And the Bible speaks of the power agent of the Trinity filling you. Meaning, the boldness and power with which you live your life in God is normal. Timid Christians, unnormal. The Bible speaks of us not having a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of boldness. And if you're timid about your faith and you're hanging around with people that are timid about their faith that's weird and confusing because boldness about our faith is normal now resistance to that boldness by the world also normal I've had people and I tell you about this I've had people that I tell them uh, me and my wife were talking to someone recently and we told them well plainly what we think you need is Jesus that relationship went downhill (laughs) maybe we should have done that whatever we did and we were right but having an expression and saying to someone boldly the gospel not hurtfully but boldly not aggressively or angrily or meanly lovingly and kindly positively yes lovingly and kindly that is normative for Christians last one fifth and this one's going to be harsh if you resist the Holy Spirit uh, you can spend eternity apart from God we talk, many of us talk all the time and people are struggling like I think maybe I should be a Christian but maybe not if you think maybe I should be a Christian if you're feeling that that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit it is and that might make you uncomfortable that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you tough and if you resist it then you will be allowed to continue resisting it to the point where you stop noticing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's unforgivable. And it doesn't mean God hates you. It doesn't mean God's angry. It means God's unable to forgive that. If you resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit intentionally, then you can avoid having to spend eternity with God. if this worries you today then I would suggest you pray a prayer and give your life to Jesus and become a Christian because the choice is you do that or eventually that feeling will go away and eventually you will be unable to feel the love of God because he's tried to express himself to you and you don't want it It's a harsh truth. Sometimes I worry about non-Christians coming to church. Because we're going to tell you that Jesus loves you. And you're going to walk out. You're going to come back next week and we're going to tell you that Jesus loves And this might go on for a year. And eventually you've got to a point where you're able to listen to it without hearing what I'm saying. Sometimes I feel like we should check and be like, Are you, are you a follower of Jesus? Because if not, we'd prefer you not know some of the things we're going to tell you. Because you're going to actually develop a hardness of heart. And we'd like to see this hardness of heart in people that are outside of the church that are angry, that are trapped in sin but I see it in the church all the time. People have been going and participating in the community of God for decades and have no relationship with Jesus. Have no idea that they don't have a relationship with Jesus because they become so hard and so immune to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's like the saddest thing in the world watching people walk around with no idea that biblically they're not a disciple of Jesus. They would call themselves a Christian, but they have no idea that they're not. This is why I love talking to people who aren't Christians, because they can see that they're not Christians. People who think they are, it's so difficult to see that you've been resistant to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life so long that you no longer can respond to it. I would gamble that there's people listening to me talk right now that are going, nope, that's not me, and it's you. Crap. That's how I feel. It's just... It's just the saddest thing. And if you feel like that today, I'm going to pray... And you can pray with me, and we can turn that thing around. And this doesn't mean that I think everyone here should be worried about this, but some of you should. Some of you who your life has no boldness, your life has no peculiarity to it. If Jesus was in your life today and not in your life tomorrow, nothing would change. Nothing. You don't have a practice of relationship with God. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. Your church attendance is sporadic. The difference between you following Jesus and not following Jesus is the amount of football you watch on Sunday morning. That's just the saddest way to live that I could possibly imagine. So I'm going to pray. And if you feel like that's something you need to pray about this morning, I'm going to guide you in prayer. And then we're going to worship together. And I want to worship with a little bit of holy anger, if that's okay. As you worship, I want you to know that you're joining with a song that's going on in heaven. if you want to know where the devil hates to go, it's heaven. It's a bunch of people who love God and follow him forever. Just terrible. And so when we bring little bits of heaven to earth, it's just kind of awesome. So we're going to pray and then we're going to worship and I'm going to invite you to actually like engage with it. Maybe you haven't done that yet today. Maybe you haven't done that in months. Maybe your life really is terrible right now. And it seems like the devil is working his best and just having a field day with the chaos in your life. And I want to invite you to sing and bring some of that Holy Spirit into your life. No one can hear you. It's loud. Don't worry. No one's looking at you. But spiritually you are going to do something. First let me pray. Let's all bow our heads. If you feel this morning. Like you've been. Like your life isn't full of the spirit. Like your Christianity seems to be something that. Just has nothing to do with anything. I'm going to invite you to pray like this and just say, Jesus, I want you in my life fully. Every part of me, all of my relationships, all of my decisions, I want them to be bold and full of your spirit. Jesus, Jesus, we repent or I repent of a spirit of being timid of trying to hide because that hiding is actually a resistance of what the Holy Spirit was doing in my life. And now together we pray to the Holy Spirit because you are God and we pray that you would be active in our lives that you would bring boldness you would bring forth the word of God through our mouths and through our actions we pray for comfort for guidance, for strength for holiness for those of us in this room Lord, I pray for those of us who've been resistant to the Holy Spirit for a long time I pray that it isn't too late. I pray that every heart in this room right now is able to commune with you. That we would just bow ourselves before you and give you all that we are. Holy Spirit, convict us and then empower us to repent because of your conviction. Amen.